Welcome back to the Crash Con Podcast. It is a Monday, October 23rd edition of the show. Hockey season is well underway. We've got five games total now on the season that the Ducks have played. Exciting times in Duckland, one might say. Exciting da- times in Duckland, it is. Yeah. I thought you were going to do something with that, but... Oh, no. I, I had nothing else. You caught me off guard a little bit there, and I was just trying to, to give you a little bit of time to keep going. But go on. Yes, it is It is an exciting time in Duckland because, I mean, now I do have something I'll add to it. There it is. I don't know the last time I felt these things, Felix, <laughs> that I felt this way about a Ducks team that has one win on the season. Yeah. And there may be people out there saying, why are you so happy? Why are you so excited? The Ducks yeah, haven't. They, they're not they've undefeated. Only, they've only won one game. They lost all three games of this past week. Uh, you shouldn't be happy. You should be critiquing. You should be angry. You should be all these things. And I come back to a line I said on last week's episode. If the process gets right, the results will follow. If the process uh, is wrong, results won't always follow. And let me just tell you guys things. The process was right this past week. It was absolutely right. Because even though the Ducks lost these three games, they first off played a Dallas team that was probably is a cup contender this year, right? Is a cup contender. Um, And the Ducks really kept it up with them. Went head to head, held their own at five on five throughout that game. And really took it to Dallas. And outside of kind of a fluky goal against in the third period, it probably should have gone to overtime in that game with both teams going. The Ducks were pushing and playing a really solid game. And we'll get into more of the nitty-gritty of Leo Carlson's debut and things like that in a bit. And then you had the Arizona game where the Ducks played a great game, generated a ton of chances. The the Carlson's egress line was fantastic. And once again, the Ducks probably deserved a better fate than a loss in that game. But... We'll get into special teams. There were there are some other things that happened, but even with that going on, the Ducks were probably the better team throughout that game, and the bounces just didn't go their way. Vimelka played extremely well. Dostal probably wants one of those goals back. And then we go to last night's game, which was probably the best 60-minute effort that the Ducks have had, where they took it to a Bruins team that was, what, didn't they, they set the record for number of wins, right, in the regular season last year? I mean, Remember? this is not, the, it's not the same team from last year. Okay, but still, this is a team that... It's a playoff-caliber team. It's a playoff-caliber team, a very, a good team, potentially very good team. And the Ducks just outclassed them throughout the game to the tune of 65% of expected goals, 61% of shot attempt share. And there are going to be things that we'll get into for minor critiques about things they could have done better. But this was a game the Ducks dominated and deserved a much better fate than a 2-1 to loss throughout that game with two kind of goals that kind of came out of nowhere. And these were three great process games that if they continue to play that way, they're not going to have 0-3 weeks much longer. Yeah. Well, two things. One, okay. we should we should caveat by process, you mean 5-on-5 five five process, how they're playing at 5-on-5, five five, because penalties are part of the process. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. Sorry. I should be clear about that. Because yes. I don't think the people, f- everyone knows exactly what you mean when you say sure. process. I'm talking about the five-on-five five process with the th- with kind of the biggest thing that Krona is implementing is a new five-on-five five system. Yeah. Yes, special teams are obviously going to be part of that, and they're going to win and lose you games here and there. That obviously has happened early on in the season. Um, but the, there's a reason why we look at expected goal metrics, shot metrics, all these things at five-on-five. Five. 
And that is because the vast majority of games are decided at five on five. A good power play, good special teams can win you some games here and there, but you're not going to go anywhere with a bad five on five play. And this is the best the Ducks have played on fi- at five on five. I don't know. When was the last time you think the Ducks probably have played a better five game stretch than they have this time? Maybe two know. seasons. They had a good stretch two seasons ago early on. So maybe that was it. Um, but I can't really recall them looking this sharp, I guess, at five on five. And the Dallas game, for instance, there was a, a good portion of the first period where they were just utterly dominant. They were coming at the stars and waves and it, it's almost like you didn't know what team this was. Yeah, the first period against Dallas was really good. But yeah. just to just to illustrate for everyone how much Jake is excited about the start for the Ducks. Yeah. Jake, in a text that was not to me, was in a group chat, referred to the Ducks as we. I haven't seen oh, Jake. Oh, wow. I haven't seen Jake do the we thing. You know, like fans talking about their team saying we, blah, blah, blah. We won or whatever. I haven't seen Jake do the we thing in I don't know how long. I think that might be the that might be the smoking yeah. gun here. That yeah, that, I didn't that even might, realize I did that. Honestly, I, th- I think I found Waldo because I, that that was a, that was a pretty telling sign of, of the yeah. excitement level. I think it just goes to show that there's a whole lot under the hood for this team, and there's a whole lot that can be built upon uh, from this. And it's also a sign that playing your young guys is not a bad decision. It helps. There's two, there's two parts of that. Yeah. It helps. It helps when the young guys are better than they were when they have improved individually on their own, but also it helps when they have an actual environment where they can succeed in. So, so it's both. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into a little bit more of all of the nitty gritty of all the games, but I think my biggest takeaway from these first five games, regardless of the results just from watching them play, looking at some of the numbers and everything like that, I think it's almost a proof of concept of everything that we said uh, last year of the fact of this team should have been better. That was always kind of what we said is this team should not have been the worst team in the league. You look at the roster and sure, maybe you could argue they could be, they should have been bad. You and I both didn't think that going into the season uh, last year, but they should not have been that bad. And a lot of what you were told after the season from various different places is, well, what, what could Dallas Aikens have done with this team? He was put in a position to fail with that roster. That was a team that was clearly set out to tank, which felt like it was further than the truth from what we saw with the roster that was built following this team day in, day out. And I think this is proof of concept that if you put a coach with a good system, a good structure there, that this team is a whole lot more than you saw last season. And sure, there's turnover on the blue line that's happening. Yeah, I was going to say. And Minchikov and Lacombe coming in. But still, you're seeing, I mean, how bad were Stroman and Vitrano last year? No, it's fair. I, but I don't I don't want to spend too much time talking about last year's team because no, I do think the, the yeah. blue line is night and day talent-wise. Sure. But my, my, my point overall is it's proof of concept that Greg Correct. Cronin is implementing a very good system that works. And that this team is a whole lot better than they showed last season. Correct. It's it's the things that they are doing. They could, it's not like they couldn't have done them last year. Like there are structural things in the way they're playing in all three zones that they just weren't doing last year. And I think that the the biggest culprit is the defensive zone, where right now the Ducks have a very clear system in the way that they defend. It's whoever is closest to the puck 
is going to pressure the hell out of the puck. Yep. Get physical, get muddy if you have to. And I think this is part of why they've taken so many penalties, maybe not against Boston, but they are very eager to let other teams know that they're going to play this physical brand of hockey. So it's that it's win on the perimeter. If you can, and protect the paint at all costs. Like they are doing everything they can to limit the home plate area, as Greg Cronin alluded to it in his presser last night. Protect the home paint area. We saw it in training camp, having that dollar sign painted on the ice in the slot. Protect home base and make life miserable along the boards and on the perimeter. And honestly, so far in all the games I've watched with this Ducks team this season, I can't really recall a play where they just gave up like a, a, a gimme in the slot. There hasn't been a, a, a true, true Mm-mm. breakdown to my eyes where it's just like everything has gone wrong, no system, total malfunction. And that speaks to coaching. That very much speaks to coaching. Yeah. And I'm just curious where last season of this season ranks. So last year, granted, much larger sample size of the entire season. We're still only talking about a five-game sample here, so it could normalize one way, go one way or the other very quickly. The last season from an expected goals against perspective at five on five, they were giving up 3.49 expected goals against per 60, which passes the the eye test. I think also of you look at yeah. the quality of chances they were continually giving up along with the, the, the quantity against. Yeah. And this year it's down to 2.52 expected goals against per 60. And so mm-hmm. that that's nearly a whole one expected goal drop per 60 minutes of ice. Yeah. That's huge. That is absolutely huge. We were talking about defensive systems, defensive awareness, everything like that. And the interesting thing is shot attempts against, it's not a huge drop down. 69.28 last season to 63 this season. The big thing is, I think you will probably dive into this a little bit more. Everything's being kept to the outside when there are shots. And that is something that's really helped them keep the quality of chances down against. They're also doing a decent enough job of blocking shots and block shots do not count for expected goals. Uh, just due to the way that they are tracked. So maybe that factors in a little bit here and there. Also playing the Carolina Hurricanes, who just threw everything on net in that five, as one of those five games could impact it. Yeah. And I think that that's the biggest thing is that they are, they are content to let things come in from the outside. Like you see right now with that expected goals percentage disparity with the shot attempts disparity, they're very keen on keep things to the outside and protect the middle. And there is, an, a, there is a give and a take to that because if you let stuff in from the outside, that creates rebounds, that creates scrambles. There's a physical toll to that. It's not a perfect system necessarily, but at the same time, you are taking away the most valuable real estate on the ice. And like to a man, like so far, I think that this Ducks team, they've all stuck to the schedule. Like even go up and down the lineup, I think everyone on this team is playing from the same script. You know, your Ross Johnsons of the world, your Ilya Labushkins, even guys who have made some mistakes. I think that it's very clear that there is just a, a system that everyone is playing under. And that might sound like people might be wondering, oh, why why is that noteworthy? Well, last season, that was not the case. Everyone was just yeah. kind of off doing their own thing. It was never obvious what the plan was. And right now you're just seeing that cohesion, you know, from the first guy in the lineup all the way down to the, the last guy. Yeah, and I think that kind of checks out also from the perspective of looking at individual lines and some of the numbers they've put up over this this time period. And kind of every line's the high, worst line from a defensive perspective is the McTavish line at 2.73 expected goals against per 60, but they're making up for it with offense at 3.55 expected goals for per 60. But 
that's the worst at 2.73. The rest are all below that with uh, the Gru line and the Zegris line both being at 1.4. And so defensively, like you have two lines that are just not really on the ice for a whole lot of uh, chances against. And the worst chances uh, against from the other perspective still isn't that bad, even for the fourth line. So yeah, I, I, I think overall that kind of goes to exactly what you're saying is to a man from the forward perspective, from the defense perspective, everyone's buying into this defensive zone structure that has really, uh, really worked out well so far in the D zone. Yeah. And I think that it is kind of remarkable that, you know, you have this bottom six that I think you and I had both kind of pegged as a, a question mark going into the season. We weren't really sure what to expect and, you know, to be completely fair, it hasn't been amazing. The bottom six up front for the for the Ducks forwards hasn't been amazing, but yeah, it's been good enough. Like that's that's something that I think we talked about in previous podcasts going back to the last few years. Is you know you don't need a, you don't necessarily need a third and fourth line that are going to dominate play. Just just go out there and get a tie. Just hold serve. Don't bring the team down. You know, don't be an anchor for this team's numbers. Yeah, and. And for right now, that's good enough. There's a lot of injuries on this team. And so once that all gets sorted out, this team is healthy, it's going to look different. But the fact that a Jones grew Silverberg line or, you know, grew with whoever has looked, has just been able to hold serve. Yeah. Johnson, not, not, Carrick, not a lot happens when, when but that that's fine. line is on ice. No, I agreed. I'm just that's saying completely like, fine. And not and a honestly, lot, not a lot of chances for, not a lot of chances against. It's just kind yeah. of a, a net neutral type line. Like, would you rather have a third line that's generating offense? Of course. Like, this is yeah. not optimal to, to have a, a, yeah. a third line that doesn't really add a whole lot of offense. But again, this is more of the product of injuries. This is not yep. going to be this, the same lineup. And I just want to give, before we get into other things, Boguru's flowers. Because I do think yeah. that he's showing a level of play that I I just didn't see coming from him. And he's Agreed. not been amazing, but he's just been very solid. Well, I think his best work has been on the penalty kill. I, I yep. think that PK. that's where he's really shown out. And that's honestly, you can, ha- you can be a net neutral fourth liner if you are good on the penalty killer and provide value that way to the team. And so I honestly think this screw Silverberg Jones line, when everything kind of everyone comes back and is healthy, that could basically be the fourth line. Yeah. Although then what do you do with the other guys? But separate conversation, separate conversation, because I mean, the ducks are missing what three forwards right now. Brett Leeson They're, has looked great too. They're missing McGinn, uh, Lundestrom, and Kalorn, right? Yep. And I mean, Carlson didn't play last game, which sure, we should probably I, talk I, about. I'm I'm including Leo Carlson. That's right. I didn't even have that in the script, but yeah, L- Leo Carlson made his NHL debut. Let, let, let's just jump into that right away. What'd you make yeah. of Leo Carlson's first two games? What'd you make of his debut? He scored a scored a goal in his debut. You had a really fun breakdown video at Crash the Ponds at our YouTube channel, youtubecom slash Pond. Um, go check it out. What'd you make of his debut? And what'd you make of his second game? Yeah, so I didn't get as much of his second game as I wanted to, but okay. I I watched enough to get a general feel. Mm-hmm. There's just something about watching those Coyotes games where it feels like you're watching a preseason game because of the camera angle. Is it just the rank? Yes, it, I feel like I'm watching the rookie face off. I don't, I don't think it. I don't think it's the camera angle. I think the camera angle is kind of fine. It's the lighting, is what I've. No, realized. it's the angle. Okay, it's just so low. It, I just feel like I'm watching a rookie face off game. Fair enough. But anyway, I mean, so here's my thing. Okay. The first time, the first time I watched the Leo Carlson debut live, I came away thinking, you know, he was kind of meh to start the game, and then he picked it up. I mean, he had those two highlight plays at the end with the goal obviously yeah and the rush where he 
he had a nice interception in the neutral zone and got yep. a breakaway out of it. But rewatching his shifts, and it's funny because Greg Cronin, that take I just had is what he said after the game. But going back and watching his shifts from the first and second period, I came away with a much different impression because I feel like he was doing a lot that was just a little more under the radar. He was still setting up chances in the power play. He damn near set up Troy Terry for a goal on the power play. Um, had some great defensive sequences, breaking up rushes, getting back in his own zone. So the most encouraging thing to me from that game for Leo Carlson was that he was doing things that he was doing in the preseason. Because watching him in the preseason, I was very excited. I was you know, optimistic. Hey, this looks really good, but it's preseason. The fact that he's, I mean, the, the play in the third period where he intercepted a pass yeah. to then go on a breakaway, yeah. he did that in the preseason. Like he made that mm -hmm. exact play a couple of times. And so seeing him do that in a real NHL live fire NHL game, that really was a big, like kind of light bulb moment of, oh, wow. Like he, you know, not saying he's going to win the call or anything, but he's at least going to be able to do stuff. He's not just going to be treading water. Yeah. And I think he looked fantastic in that game. I think you're right. He had some moments there. I think the second period, uh, he even said it himself, his legs got heavy. I think it was the second game against the Coyotes where yeah. he really showed out. I think there were flashes of what he could do against the Stars. He was good overall. Um, but you had to, like you said, dive into the kind of minutiae. He, he was more dynamic against the Coyotes, for sure. Against the Coyotes, you really saw, I saw him, Zegers, and Terry and the chemistry that those three could have together. And there was a there were a couple plays there where him and Zegris were just completely on the same page, leaving the pucks for one another in specific spots to open up chances, open up looks for each other. And that line throughout that game, I, I'm going to try to find the numbers that they had because it was just absolutely stupid the amount of chances that they had throughout that game. It was... Um, I felt like every time they were on the ice, the Ducks were going to get a really good look to potentially score a goal. Yeah. And... It just so happens Vimelka had a really, really good game, stopped them every every chance they had. Um, and I was just so impressed with the game he had and the the creativity, the ability to feed off or vibe off of, of Zegris and Terry throughout there. And we'll get into this a little bit more, but Zegris was an absolute monster. Yeah, that, that line in that game, I put a clip of one of their shifts on Twitter today. Yeah. And somehow people were pushing back on it, which is hilarious, but just creating chances left and right and watching that shift you i for, at first i thought they were on the power play but they were not it was five on five like they were just like you said you know finding each other in space moving off the puck creating passing lanes getting shots getting shots from grade a plus uh you know locations it was just it's kind of mesmerizing watching those three because I think that all three of their skill sets are, you know, they're three very, very different players. Yeah. But the thing that kind of binds them together is that they all have great hockey sense. You know, I would say that Trevor Zegers' hockey sense has really sh have been able to shine playing next to Leo Carlson because it's like he's even talked about it, that they see the game in a similar way and they're able to become more than the sum of their parts or whatever the expression is. And yeah. Troy Terry, I would say he's on the lower end of that spectrum. Like, I don't think yeah. he's he's considered this like savant playmaker, but just with his speed, his strength, his kind of just all out aggression when he has the puck, it's just like you just have to enjoy it. You just have to kind yeah. of you just have to smile and just enjoy it as you watch it happen. So 
they were at, let, let me see this. Zegers and Terry were both above 80% expected goal share throughout the game. Carlson at 74% expected goal share, goal share throughout mm-hmm. the game. So, I mean, they were on the ice for a significant amount of chances for and very a very, very low amount of chances against. And you may say, and the only downside is you then have uh, people like Brian Hayward bringing up the point of, well, should they be broken up to spread out the wealth a little bit more, which is just a, a wild take when they are dominating the game in the way that they are. Yeah, um, and also, like, I'm not convinced that that helps the team that much. Well, I also, honest. yeah, I don't really get how it would help them out that much. I think the second line has been solid enough with McTavish, uh, yeah. Strom, and Vitrano. If you look at kind of the numbers they've had and also just the way they've looked also, they've been able to generate chances. They've been able to hit teams in transition. We saw it in the Boston game where if they're able to kind of break out, McTavish can be kind of this transition monster on his yeah. own and set up chances and get really good looks for Strom and Vitrano um, as, as they go through. And so I think those two lines are two legitimate top six lines in the NHL right now with just some numbers for you because I was just perusing Evolving Hockey like I do from time to time before I, uh, we went live on this podcast. And I posted this in our Crash Pond Discord, and I don't think you've seen it yet. But it... For a minimum of 20 minutes of time on ice. So caveat as always, sample size. Where do you think they rank for forward lines in terms of expected goals for percentage? I don't know. like top In the entire f- league. Top 15? Seventh. Okay. Seventh in the entire league. In terms nice. of expected goals for per 60, 10th. Nice. Like this is a line that is one of the top 10 lines in the league at generate, generating offensive chances. Mm-hmm. That is not yeah. something you break up. That is something where if they continue this, the goals are going to come. Well, also, and that's kind of that. That's I think kind of the the biggest takeaway I think for a lot of people listening to this show is understanding that even though the goals have not come for that line because they have what one five on five goal with the yeah. the Leo Carlson. Well, they've also Leo played Carlson two goal. games or sorry two, yeah two with two goals with Terry scoring one, Carlson scoring the other, yeah. and yeah they've played two games, but the goals are going to come in spades for that line. Well, also keep in mind what the season is about. Like, yes, you want to see the Ducks win as many games and you want to see them make a playoff push as a fan. But this is also about, like, the future. This is about development. And to me, seeing Leo Carlson, Troy Terry, and Trevor Zegras play together on a line is great for all of their developments because they get to play in a great situation. They get to, they get to touch the puck a lot. I mean, that's something that you hear coaches talk about is building up a player's confidence. Start by giving them a lot of puck touches. All three of those guys, that's all they're doing. Like, wa- just watching their games, watching their shifts, I've all like every time I come away from it, I'm like, it seems like they weren't in their zone very much. And then you look at the numbers and it's like, yeah, they're just never in their zone. They're always making something happen. And, and it's not like Greg Cronin is, you know, having kid gloves on them. Like, they are taking faceoffs in the D zone. Yeah. There, there's not a lot of matchup hunting. They're just out there balling. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, and they're they're not stuck in their D zone because they're able to really quickly get on guys in their own zone. And I think maybe that's not what we're going to talk about enough here because we're talking about the offensive side of the game. But the reason why they're always in the other team's offensive zone is that either they're getting on guys quick in the offensive zone to turn pucks over and keep it in the offensive zone. Or they are uh, in the neutral zone pressuring guys or they're getting the puck back um, slash the defense has done a really good job of moving the puck quickly. And if you have a defense that's willing to move the puck quickly and you have three very highly skilled forwards out there, they're going to make good plays with the puck to be able to break it out quick and get out on in transition. 
Yeah. And so you have high quality defensemen in Minchikov and Lacombe in Fowler. You have one of them on every single line that's able to move the puck quickly. And you have three very, very high quality forwards. That is a recipe for not spending a lot of time in your own zone. Yeah. And honestly, if you just watch them transition the puck, like Trevor Zegras as the what I call the bumper in the neutral zone. I don't know if this is probably not the right term, but as the second guy. So you have the first forward breaking the mm-hmm. puck out, passes it to the second forward. He is making just some sick plays in the neutral zone. Like there was one today where, or not today, but in the Boston game where it was actually in the D zone, but he drew a four checker onto him and then did like a no look backhand over to Terry. It was a perfect play, but even just simple plays like one touch passes in the in the neutral zone to spring an oncoming Terry or an oncoming Leo Carlson or an oncoming Pavel Mintukov from time to time. Like he, because he's not that primary driver coming out of the neutral zone, that gives him time to assess the lay of the land just for an extra couple seconds. And he has just been on the money making perfect, perfect passes to then keep that train moving and get a clean zone entry. Like Trevor Zegers, we're going to get into it, but he has looked fantastic to me. Yeah. Before we hit the break, we should probably cover briefly that Leo Carlson did not play last night. That was reported by Eric Stevens, I believe on Friday was when that came out. Maybe it was a little bit earlier, but that basically Paverbeek had a quote that more or less he said that when he was, he played in the NHL at a really young age at 19 and he hit a wall later in the season. And so I'll find the quote as we we keep going through, but more or less they're going to manage his games um, early on throughout the seat, throughout the year. Um, for the first couple of months, I think was specifically what he said, so that he won't hit that wall and he can be a monster later in the season. I believe that was a, a horse. Later a horse. In the there we go. A horse later. Everyone's in the a horse these days. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, so he can be a horse later in the season. And this kind of drew a lot of scrutiny when Carlson was not in the lineup. I think you and I both kind of were under the assumption that he probably wasn't going to play on Sunday. I didn't, I didn't think he was going to play. Yeah, I, I didn't surprised. think. I didn't think he was going to play. He's coming off an injury, um, right? playing two games, one of them in Arizona, um, played, I think, 22 minutes. Like, that line was just thrown out there, which Cronin deserves a lot of credit for. Just They were obviously the only, the line, main line that was going offensively, and he just kept throwing them out there against the Coyotes. And so there was a lot of conversation kind of yesterday about this. And I think here's my take on this. I think it's fine, and I completely understandable for a fan going to that game to be disappointed. And I think from that perspective, you have a right to be because you're going to this game. You want to see Leo Carlson. You want to see him in a home game, all these different types of things. Um, and the ducks probably should be able to communicate this better to fans saying ahead of time, Leo Carlson is not playing in this game, yada, yada, yada. And it's not going to come out maybe an hour before the game to maybe set the expectations better. They don't owe that to people, but that is one way that you can more or less better set the expectation throughout these games. And having said that, I think this is a completely justifiable and valid enough position from the hockey ops department. And they're not viewing this as a business decision and they shouldn't view Leo Carlson's development as a business decision. This is about the long-term process for Carlson, the long-term process for this Ducks team. And he's just come off an injury. He's played a significant amount of minutes. This is someone that last season, I think, played 50-some-odd competitive games in the regular season um, prior to the World Championships and things like that. So I looked it up. The SHL plays 52 games throughout the regular season. 
I think as long as he plays 60 to 70 minutes, then there are absolutely no issues at all in this. Uh, or sorry, 60 to 70 games. There are no issues at all in this. Um, I think if he ends up, if he sits so many games where he only plays 40 games, 50 games, then this is a concern because the biggest thing for him is getting minutes. But this is a big transition. This is a kid that is 18 years old, moved halfway across the country, adjusting to a new across ice surface. Did I say across the country? Yes. Whoops. <laughs> across the world. Uh, is adjusting to a new ice surface, living in a country that uh, speaks a different primary language, even though there's, I believe, probably a decent amount of people in Sweden that are playing um, or that are speaking English. Well, they all they all learn English in like high school, I think. Yeah, but so. still. You're, you're still living in a country that does not speak Swedish at all. Yes. And it's a big adjustment. And so I think that this is a completely fine decision by Pat Verbeek. And I think at absolute worst, I think this is a neutral decision. Um, whereas I think the best case scenario is it's not a neutral decision and it really helps out this team or helps him out in his development by giving him some rest in between those games. Yeah, I'm kind of just neutral on this. I don't think it's That's bad fine. per se. I also don't think it's like, I just don't know how to feel about it because I don't think I've ever seen an NHL team do this. This is this is like a first for me. I've never seen an NHL team come out and be pretty open like the Ducks have about we are not going to play our, you know, our first overall draft pick who made the team every game. That's pretty That's pretty new territory that the Ducks are entering. I do think, though, that, you know, he played a lot of games last year between the SHL international play. You know, there was a lot of talk about how he looked worn down this summer at development camp. So I don't hate the idea of keeping him fresh. You know, the the goal of this season isn't so much for him to just play 82 games. It's to develop. It's to be able to learn the game and be at his best. And if this is if if this is what's going to enable him to do that or help him do that, then I think it. It's a decision that makes sense. Flip side is we just haven't seen this happen before. We don't know how what kind of effect this could have because at some, at some point he's going to have to play 82 games. That adjustment is going to come. So it's just very interesting to me. Like I'm keeping an open mind to it. I don't hate it or love it. I think just the biggest thing is like, you know, there's so much hype around the O'Carlson right now. The Ducks have really built him up as they should, rightfully yeah. so. I just think... Fans want to see him play in home games, and I'm not saying play him in home games. I'm just saying, hey, give the fans a little, little bit more of a heads up, now or two. Like, you're not, you're not gonna be at this big competitive disadvantage if the other team knows that a little sooner. I mean, you know, lines get tweeted out in the morning usually. Like, we we usually know in the lineup in the morning yeah. anyway. So, are we supposed to stop that? You know, because the Ducks are at a, at a disadvantage. So, I just think. Because of this kind of unique circumstance, I think that the fans deserve a little bit more of a heads up because it's just it just seems more right to me to do it that way. But others than that, I I don't really have a strong opinion one way or another on this plan. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. I think for me it's just I think it's a defensible position. I think it's one that comes from one one that comes from a good state of mind with good intentions. I think if this was the situation with Trevor Zegers two or what was it three seasons ago now, where it's obvious that it was meant to doctor his amount of games played to keep him or make that not count as a year of service, um, 
I think that that's a whole different conversation because that's about helping the organization with contracts later. And that's not thinking about the player's development in that situation. Yeah. I think that this situation with Leo Carlson is you may disagree with the way they're going about it, but at the end of the day, they have Carlson's development uh, in mind with this. And that is their number one priority with this. And I think that we can't fault a team for doing what they think is best for the player in that situation. And at the end of the day, here's another point I have for this is it seems like it's probably going to be some back-to-backs here and there, mainly for these first three months of the season. And then probably starting in January after the 40 or 40 game, 41 game mark, he'll play more. And we always talk about how the games later in the season are a little bit different, right? They start getting a little bit more of that playoff edge to them at times. They, they have more importance for various different teams. So they start to become tougher games. And so I think, a game in February or March could be more vital to Leo Carlson's game and his development long-term than a game in October or November. Yeah, maybe. So just a thought. Uh, We have a question in our YouTube that I just want to mention is, is uh, Leo Carlson staying with the Ducks the entire season or might he get sent down to the goals at some point? I mean, with them doing this, I don't see him going down to the goals at, at any point. I don't think that, they would kind of go to these lengths if he they haven't. They haven't said that he's staying with the Ducks all season. I think that, like, my take on this is that if it got to the point where he was obviously really struggling, and it was just not working out, that he could see some time in the AHL. Yeah. But I think I think the default is he's going to be in the NHL. Yep. All right. Before we move on, let's have a quick word from our sponsor. So, seasons greeting. Uh, more like seasons compliments because compliments are guaranteed to make the leap to skincare with called uh with caldera with caldera lab and i'm talking about how you look today and 20 years from now the results are incredible in little time men's skincare and caldera lab are the perfect pair for you to look and feel your best super easy to add your morning and nightly routine clear skin less wrinkles and signs of aging enough said caldera lab skincare join the other 100,000 men who trust caldera lab to show your best first impression this fall Having a sexy routine and habits is the new big thing. And what if we told you it took less than a minute to add? Uh, Caldera Lab wants to help you accomplish this big time in little time. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup, a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Caldera Lab knows the skincare world is heavily female-driven and has long been the wild, wild west for men. That's why they're making the solution simple. The regimen includes three products, the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. The clean slate starts and ends your day. This face wash leaves all skin types refreshed. The base layer is your daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin and jumpstart your day full of confidence. The good is your go-to multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter and smoother, as well as help reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. Every drop of the serum is packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. In the Caldera Lab Icon Eye Serum, it addresses the three most common skin concerns around the eyes. Fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness. The Caldera or Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare, made only with top-tier ingredients and clinical trials have found 94% of men's skin showed an overall younger-looking appearance after using Caldera Lab for a few weeks. One minute morning and night is all it takes to reduce your wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. And just for our audience, we have an exclusive deal. You're not beating this offer, trust me. Use CTP at calderalab.com and you can get 20% off right now. Once again, 
You can get 20% off with code CTP at calderalab.com to make unforgettable first impressions with the best gift this holiday season. 20% off at calderalab.com with code CTP. Go check them out. Okay. Anything else on this Leo Carlson uh, load management situation? Um, I guess the only other thing is some people will say, well, you should have waited to play him in the home game against the Bruins compared to playing him on the road against the Coyotes. And I, I think it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. If he doesn't play against the Coyotes, it will be, well, he just scored his first NHL goal, had a great game. Why don't you play him right in the game afterwards? Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a more winnable game against the Coyotes than against the Bruins. Why aren't you playing him that game to try to win the game? Like, either way, you're going to get criticized. So I think playing him the game after the the his debut was the right call. I think it sucks for fans in attendance, um, but I think it was probably from a hockey ops perspective, the correct call. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like you said, I, there's kind of arguments to go either way. Um, I will say though, like not that he's not tough enough to handle it, but man, watching the, the Bruins and how they, uh, you know, behave on the ice. I'm kind of glad Leo Carlson wasn't out there because they are just, they're just a dirty team. Like some of the shit they were pulling, it's just like Trevor Zegras got smoked. Like basically, like just think of the Paul Korea hit with Scott Stevens. Like that almost happened. Like that basically was the same exact play, but in the corner where Zegras dumps it off with his backhand and Charlie McAvoy, at least like two beats go by, just like destroys him and no penalty, no nothing. But yeah, I wasn't, Super upset that Leo Carlson wasn't a part of that because that's that was really hard to watch. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, perfect transition to Trevor Zegers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, so he, like I, he deserves his flowers. Yeah, I mean, like I just said, he got smoked on. Like this was in the second period, I believe. He gets smoked by Charlie McAvoy, and to his credit, and I've been saying this since preseason. There's a video you can go watch it, but I've been saying this preseason. He has been more physical. He's been winning more board battles. He has been more intense. He has been more... I'm not going to say more. He's just been all of these things. Engaged, physical, intense, strong. He just looks great without the puck on his stick. And in this game, I thought that after that hit by Charlie McAvoy, that just really cheap hit, he came back even stronger. Like, he was on the bench just kind of dusting himself off. And he had some awesome plays. You know, there was a really great effort play where... The puck was kind of lobbed out. It was like a 50-50 puck between him and McAvoy. And he just chased it down. It was stuck in McAvoy's skates. Yeah. And Zegers was just fighting for it, digging his stick in and fished it out of, of, of McAvoy's skates and got a shot on that. Like, it's just stuff like that where Zegers, when you combine all the skill that we know he has, all the hockey IQ that we know he has with that level of motor, that level of will, because yes, there is an element of will. You don't have to do those things. It's just really, really fun to watch because we are witnessing Zegers 2.0, in my opinion. Yeah. That play against McAvoy that you mentioned, I think, was the oh shit moment for me. Yeah. Yeah. That that was the moment because, for those that don't know, Charlie McAvoy is one of the best five-on-five defensemen in the league. Yeah. The reason why he's defenseman. Like, yeah. Well, no, no, but but where I'm the reason why he's I'm saying five-on-five is the only reason he's not in Norris conversations. He doesn't put up the points on the power play. That's pretty much it. Yeah, he is fair. one of the best best five on five defensemen in the entire league, and Trevor Zegers made him look bad there. 
the puck was in his skates and he stripped him of the puck and was able to get a scoring chance out of it. That was the moment for me where I was like, oh shit, Trevor Zegers has unlocked a new mode. And yeah, the that game against Boston was was a treat because I think he was just generating so many chances. I actually think Troy Terry has been a little bit lackluster to start the year. I think there are a couple times where he's been overhandling pucks here and there. I haven't been thrilled with this game. Yeah, yeah there, there have been some times where it feels like something's just a half second off for him. Zegers has been absolutely driving everything, though, on Z- that Zegers' line. timing right now is just like A-plus with everything. And I'm looking at uh, the hockey vis charts for Trevor Zegers right now and just looking at the offense for the Ducks when he's on the ice versus when he's off the ice. The Ducks generate 3.8 expected goals, 4 per 60 when he's on the ice. That falls down when he's not on the ice to 2.03. Yeah. So they are 35% above average in the league when he is on the ice, and they are 28% below average when he's off the ice. That just yeah. shows you how much from an offense generation perspective he is making a big difference. And they have heat maps on their website. Guess where majority of the shots are coming from when he's on the ice? Probably the middle. Middle of the center, middle, the most high danger location that you can have is where the shots are coming from. And, oh, by the way, defense, 1.72 expected goals against per 60. That's 39% below league average in terms of expected goals against and the ducks go up to 2.76. So about they're 2% below. So about average without them on the ice. So this is kind of what we talked about when we talked about the Zegers, uh, Carlson Terry line is when Zegers is on the ice, the ducks are getting all of the chances. They are generating so many good looks and they are just not having to defend really at all. The, there are no shots really coming from front net area. That is one of the coldest locations for shots against. Um, and, and so this is just something where the Ducks are doing a great job when he's on the ice. And I think Zegers is getting a little bit of flack from people. Because um, he hasn't be, scored. Because he has one assist so far on the season, I believe, right? Yeah. He has one assist so far on the season. And so some people would look at that scoreline and say, well, he needs to score more goals, put up more assists. He's getting paid to do that. If you're generating as many chances that he, as he has, the puck is going to go in the net. People need to kind of take a relax, take a step back and realize that hockey is a weird sport where it's going to come in waves. And right now it's kind of a slow wave and it's going to build up and it's going to just all start going into the net. And that line is just going to start going off. And yeah, I think that we are seeing the emergence of a superstar right now. Yeah, well, like going back to that hit by McAvoy, but right after that, it wasn't just the, the loose puck play we were both talking about. Like there was one where he he gets the puck in kind of the center of the of the offensive zone, and he just takes on a defender one-on-one to basically isolate him to then dump it off to Troy Terry. Like he was initiating that contact going into defenders and then – just to, I think the next shift after that, you know, he, it's a give and go where he, he dumps it off to the wing and then just charges to the net, like just goes in full bore and he draws a tripping penalty and that sends the ducks to the power play. And it's just, and that was all right after he just, you know, sustained a pretty tough hit. So that just shows a lot of toughness to me, a lot of mental toughness. Like that's kind of what I think of when I think of toughness is like, you know, when things aren't going your way, how do you respond? Like what, what's your, What's your response to adversity? And he just, he just had that it factor against Boston. And like, maybe part of it is cause it's like his, you know, 
he, he, he went to Boston. Like maybe there's yeah. some like personal thing there, but I think he just really is enjoying. It looks like he's enjoying playing for Cronin. And I, although I don't, like I said, I don't love the Leo Carlson kind of load management thing, not because I think it's bad, but it's just, I'm just you kind of agnostic. I'm just agnostic on it. The one side benefit is that we get to see a lot of Trevor Zegers in these games. Cause he's, a, he's, he's the center. He's taking all the faceoffs. Um, and he kind of gets a little more shine in these games because it's pretty clear when he's playing with Leo Carlson, like he still sticks out, but he is now one of three really, really good players instead of kind of now one of two when, when Leo's not in the lineup. So I do kind of like that just from a selfish entertainment perspective. Yep. All right. Uh, any other standouts for you so far this season? I uh, mean, in the early season, uh, We'll kind of hit this kind of quickly to get to a couple things before questions. Yeah, the biggest standout to me, honestly, I'll give I'll give two I'll give two bouquets I'll give out okay. two bouquets of flowers here, one to an unexpected name, but I think Ryan Strom has been really good. Yeah, like he is a guy who, you know, we were very down on after last season. We were waiting to see, you know, was it the Dallas Aikens effect? His numbers being so horrendously bad. And so far, like he has just looked like a different player from last season, yeah. like so involved offensively, you know, kind of doing those little Rhinestrom things of those little short area plays in the neutral zone, being that bumper on breakouts, but also getting back defensively, creating plays off the rush. You know, he's never going to be like a true rush threat, but he had a really nice setup to Frank Vetrano against Boston. So I've really liked his game. And then the obvious candidate, one Pavel Mintyukov, he has just... He has really surpassed what I expected. You know, Agreed. He, he looked great in preseason. Yeah. I was super high on him coming out of the preseason. But again, it's that preseason caveat. We don't know what it'll look like when there's two points in the line. And man, he he has his moments, you know, where he looks a little like kind of like a wild goose out there. Yeah. But he is just dialed like all three zones, just crisp, aggressive, making the other team work. You know, sometimes he has a tendency to maybe be a little overeager and maybe that can cost him. But I think he he strikes that balance and he has just been a joy to watch. All right. I agree with both of those. I'm going to give out two flowers here also. Two bouquets. Two bouquets. <laughs> one to one Mason McTavish. You yeah. mentioned it last show. He's shown a level so far this season that I did not see at all last season. And yeah. I expected some development. But he's just absolutely taken a massive step this year. And I think you watch the way he plays, how direct he is, how good he is in the offensive zone. I think he's had some down games here and there. But I think the Arizona game was probably one of them. But followed it up with a really, really strong Boston game. And so I think he's had some hit or miss games here or there. But I think for the most part overall, he's played a really, really strong start to the season. And the other person is the other rookie on defense. I Pavel Minchukov, rightfully so, is getting a lot of flowers from a lot of people. Jackson Lacombe has not. And I think that Jackson Lacombe deserves that because he has such... You mentioned this in preseason. I think it's the best way to put it. He just has such a pro polish to his game. Yeah. There's just something about his game where he's always in the right spot, jumping up to in the play in the right, right uh, at the right time. And one thing that really stuck out was against Dallas late in the game when they had the goalie pulled... Minchikov and Lacombe were out there together. Yeah. And there was a play along the boards where Lacombe jumped up and sealed off the board in the offensive zone and got the puck back on. And he's on his offside there. 
and makes that play to stop the breakout from happening from Dallas. And that could have set up a goal for the Ducks in that situation and prevented an empty net goal against. And just those types of plays where pinching at the right time, being physical at the blue line, defending the blue line, making puck retrievals in his own zone. I don't know if I've seen any moment with Jackson Lacombe where he's looked out of his own, out of his depth. Yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. Like he's just always, it just always feels like he is on the ball. And I'm pretty sure, I know Lacombe has killed penalties. I think he killed penalties last game. Minchikov has also. And Mint, and now Mintukov is getting out there. And it's just like, man, what can't these guys do? I mean, I'm not saying that they're doing it. I mean, I think Lacombe's a great doing it. I haven't watched Mintukov as closely, but man, like they got them on the power play. They got them pen- killing penalties, extra man, five on five. Like, yes, this is what you want to see. But the thing is, it's a, it's a two-parter because one is, yes, they're getting the opportunity and that's what these guys should be getting if they're going to be in the NHL. But the flip side of that is they're earning the opportunity. Like, yeah. I would argue Lacombe and Matyukov have been the Ducks' two best yeah. defensemen so far. Yep. Yep. I don't even think it's that close. Like, I don't think Gudis has been great. I mean, Fowler's been fine-ish. Drysdale's barely played, unfortunately. Um, you know, Vakanainen, I thought, looked okay. Labushkin is Labushkin, but like those two guys have just, they have been the Ducks' two best defensemen. I don't think it's that close. Yep. And then just brief injury update before we get to kind of the big main critiques that we have so far. Drysdale is out day to day, lower body injury, put on IR, retroactive, I think, to last, uh, I think it was to the game against the, the Hurricane. So he could come back whenever they want him to. This is, I'm curious who they call up because this just opens up a roster spot for them to use now. Yeah. Um, Kalorn, it was four to six weeks was the timeline, and four weeks would be this week, I think on Wednesday. So curious to see when he comes back. I would probably imagine kind of probably after this road trip. Apparently um, he's been like around the team. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. That's good. Um, good there. So that's kind of, I think, all the injury updates. So also, can I can I put out a, a, a bit of a PSA? Yeah. Do not call Jamie Drysdale injury prone because he's missed oh, man. whatever games. Like, do Give he, the guy get give he, the guy some slack. Cut he some, played eighty one games two seasons ago. Cut him some slack. Show him some grace. Cut him some grace. Like, like and this he, isn't like it's his shoulder either. It's not well, the same injury. It's either. also like just don't be an asshole. Like, yeah, he he's not like we don't know what happened. We don't know the the severity of the injury. Unrelated injuries. It's very rare for guys to go an entire eighty two games without missing a game or two due to injury. Yeah, watch watch the games. Like try not getting hurt doing that for yeah. you know every night. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. So we we've been a lot of very rosy, very orange colored glasses. Not really, but a, a very uh, good good way of viewing this team over the last a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there are critiques. Yeah, the, of course. The big elephant in the room is the special teams play, and specifically with when it comes to the amount of penalties this team has taken. Yeah. Um. I disagree with your assessment earlier, honestly, that this is due to Cronin's system. I think in some ways there are some penalties where you can look at look I don't at think it like that, that the last game it was that. There were a lot of just weird, fluky penalties last game. But I think a lot of the penalties, the ones that I think are really frustrating are the ones that are coming in the neutral zone and the offensive zone. Things like that, where you have at the end of the Coyote, or in the third period of the Coyotes game, the Ducks had just killed off a penalty and Mason McTavish goes and elbows a guy in the head. Yeah. Like it, on a four check. Like bad. There's a lot of these just really undisciplined plays. I think it was the Coyotes game or maybe it was the Stars game. I can't remember. But Silverberg just trips a guy at the blue line. 
Yeah. And like all like the gotta be, there, gotta be smarter. There are just there's been a lot of those types of plays. Ross Johnson running interference. You may quibble about Leo Carlson's interference in the Coyotes game with whether it was interference or not, but the red the Radko Gudis one against Boston was like, just like as clear as day. <laughs> yeah, and Troy Terry, I mean, on the power play, I get it. You're stopping a two on one, so maybe there's that. But I, I think you just need to not put yourself in those situations. Like that is the biggest thing is you can quibble about these penalties, right? And, and are they being stri- t- too stringent on the Ducks? But the Ducks are putting them in a position to make have the ref make these calls, to allow the ref to make these calls. Of not getting to the bench quick enough from Sam Carrick to allow a too many men on the ice call. They almost uh, had that happen again against Boston. Like, like, <laughs> like these are all very... Like, the good news is these are all correctable mistakes. I don't think... I think the vast majority of them are these types of plays that aren't due to uh, really pushing it in the defensive zone. They're... Just undisciplined plays. There's no other way to put it in the neutral zone, in the offensive zone. I think you can live with the the overexertion in the D zone, right? You can live with those types of plays that are going to happen as a result of that. The the Frank Vetrano hooking at front net where it kind of saved a goal against. It's the ones, like I said, the McTavish elbow that, that you really don't want to stomach. Um, yeah, McTavish has taken some bad ones. Yeah. So I, I think that you just need to be a lot smarter in the way that you're playing to not have these many this many penalties cuz I think they have five penalty kills against the Bruins and that was the best game of penalty killing they've had. Uh it's been five or six penalty kills basically every single game. And if you're yeah, doing that, that, that that's tough. You, if you're doing that it's a recipe for for goals against. And so especially yeah. if your power play is not clicking, it's just you need to have a whole lot of a better idea of what you're doing and not kind of stepping over that line not slashing guys when it's unnecessary, kind of really holding yourself and playing a very disciplined style of hockey. I think that's the best way of putting it. Yeah. And so don't take penalties. I don't think the penalty kill has been bad. No, I think it's been fine. I think that they've done as much as they can with that. And I really like, I find it really interesting the way that they're playing because if you'll notice, they really pressure the puck and they really guard the middle. Like they do it, they, they do it like they do it five on five. But they kind of don't care about the low to high. They don't really seem to care when the the puck comes back out to the blue line. It seems like they're almost willing to live with those shots just to take away the flanks, to take away the middle. Like it is a very, I would call it an an analytics-driven penalty kill because there's very clear kind of hot spots that they're trying to take away. And and the point doesn't seem to be one of them. Yeah, they allow about 18% less than average in terms of chances against on a power play. And yeah. if you're looking at the chart, I believe... I'm trying to make sure I understand this correctly. Yeah. Um, the vast majority of the shots on a power play for the other team aren't coming from the net front. They're coming from essentially the the point area and on the right yeah. face-off dot. Like, nothing's they, they, really net front. They're doing a good job of taking yeah. that away and keeping shots out of that area. I, I just think when you're down a man, no matter how good your penalty kill is... Correct. I mean, you're still going to allow shots. I mean, you just look at the disparity in... in Chances, right? It's obvious, but 6.59 expected goals against per 60 when you're on the penalty kill versus 2.43 for the Ducks so far at five on five. Yeah, like it's it's a numbers game. Yeah, like eventually goals are going to start going in. So I, I think that they just need to find a way to clean up the amount of penalties that they're taking. And on the flip side of that, if you are going to take that many penalties, the Ducks have had their power play chances. That does, it's getting better. It's getting closer. But that really needs to start clicking. And you have a lot of thoughts there. Uh-huh. I mean, I just think that I don't think the power play has been bad. Like, I don't I don't even know what the numbers are, to be honest with you. But just watching it, 
they are creating a lot when it's the top unit on the ice. Like even even with Leo Carlson not in the game yesterday, they were still able to create. It just hasn't gone in. And I think that right now the big question is, you know, they're really trying to work this interplay between Leo Carlson and Tr- Trevor Zegras, you know, along the flank. And right now they have that on the right side. The problem is, you know, you're trying to create the situation where the penalty kill overplays those two guys. And eventually you get it to that weak side where you get a clean shot. Like that's, that was the play to Troy Terry in the game against uh, Dallas where he, well, he, he didn't really almost score, but it was a good look. My problem is this. I just don't think Troy Terry is that kind of player. Like, I just don't think that's his game. I don't really know where Troy Terry fits in the system right now on the power play. What I would rather see is get Trevor Zegers and Leo Carlson, keep that interplay because it's, it's working. Like they are creating looks. They are making teams confused. It works. Get them on the other side, get them on the left flank and get Mason McTavish over on that right flank, get the big gun out. And now all of a sudden for the penalty killers, you have so much more to worry about. I don't think anyone is worried about uh, Troy Terry right now. And also Troy Terry, like, here's the thing. When you're, when you're a player on the power play, it's not enough to just be a great, you know, five on five scorer. You have to be able to make those small little technique plays, keeping the play alive, keeping the chains moving, making the smart play. And a lot of the times, like to me, Troy Terry thrives in chaos. He's a guy who attacks, attacks, attacks off the rush, breaking the team down. The power play is very static. Yeah. You know, or, or at least it's more static. I don't think he thrives in that. I, so I would rather see him in a, in a situation where he's on the right side, he's on a strong side, in that kind of what I call Nick Suzuki role, where he's going to come all the way out of the, uh, out of the offensive zone, you know, time his entry to where he can build up speed, get a shot. So all this to say, this is very long-winded, but because I have a lot of thoughts, like you said, but all this to say that I think there's a lot of pieces there. There's a lot of talent. It, it has looked good to me. It's just finding a way to, to optimize it. And I think that that's just going to be a process for them. It's not going to, it's not going to happen night, you know, one game to the next power play two just looks not good. I won't even yeah. talk about that, but power play one to me is, is really interesting. And especially once Kalorn comes back, I just, I have no idea what they're going to do. Yep. All right. We should probably get some questions here. You good for it? Yeah, Lou is calling me out for mentioning a hab, but yep. deal with it. All right, as always, uh, we start with our Crash Pond Discord. If you want to be a member of our Discord, go to patreon.com slash Crash For a dollar, you get uh, access to our Discord channel, uh, which kind of as the season goes on and uh, we uh, we go a little bit more long-winded for the main portion of the show, we'll prioritize these questions and get to them first uh, as we have time permitting. So if you want to make sure you get your questions in, the two ways of doing it, go patreon.com slash uh, or patreon.com slash crash bond. Or like we mentioned last time, you can get a super chat in um, on YouTube to be able to get your question read at any time. So we'll start there. Uh, let's see. We had Shake and Wing said a couple questions I've had. What age does a player need to break out by and how long would you give a line to create chemistry before trying something new? Uh, I would probably say yeah. the magic number would probably be 24. Yeah, that's like the very latest, I would say. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, by that's the very latest. Yeah. That's kind of the number there. I would say I would give a line maybe 10 games. Yeah, like five, really five to for. 10. Yeah. All right. Callie Clang Stan account said, have we finally gotten out of the dark ages of Ducks history? 
I mean, feels yeah. like it. It's never going to be as bad as it was last season. And uh, last season was probably the yeah, never going to be as bad. Let's not think about that. That too was much. the dark ages. Yeah, Melbourne Ducks said from afar, Australia. Uh, it's been a completely different Ducks team to watch so far this season compared to last. More pace about the team, and the players look more, much more engaged. Are the results largely irrelevant until Cro- uh, Cho- Coach Cronin's system is fully understood by the team and in effect? I mean, I think the system's fully in effect already. I think you're you're seeing the impact of it with the way they're playing, and and that it there's it's just a more fun team, a more enticing team to watch overall. And so, I think probably the the better way to put it is that you want to see this process corrected, which it has been, and the results are eventually going to start following. And so I wouldn't worry so much about the results this season. I would worry a whole hell of a lot more about how they are playing. And so as they start continuing to play like this, they will start winning more and more games. And as you are being called out for your pronunciation, Melbourne, 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 Dang. Well, shout out to our Australian listeners, Melbourne? though. What did, you are, what, did, what did I do? Melbourne? You said I Melbourne. Oh, I don't think Melbourne. that's how you say it. Okay, Melbourne. Uh, but shout out to our Australian listeners. Yeah. We, we D- see you. D Frenzy said, I feel like the process is a lot better this year so far. Do you think we, we've been losing because of lack of execution, or has the competitive competition just been really good? I mean, all of the above, in a way. Like The, yeah. the Ducks have played all competitive teams to very good teams. And they have not fully executed in those games, but and they've they've been the, goalied also twice. Yeah, like the margin of error is not very big when you know you're not putting pucks away and you're taking a lot of penalties. Um, yeah. So as they kind of help themselves, they will see results. Yeah, I'm curious what they're going to do in Columbus tomorrow because Columbus goaltending is not that, on the level of what they've seen the last two games. That could be the get right game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Puff said, can Power Play 2 just be the entire McTavish line? Hey, you skipped with- Lou's question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Dang. Hey, Lou, if you're listening to this, he's in remember, our Remember chat. this. Remember are this, the- <laughs> that I saw your question and saved are the- you. <laughs> are the Ducks becoming analytics darlings? Uh, are they? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the Puff said, can Power Play 2 be the entire McTavish line with Henrique and Fowler? Don't even have to change Power Play 1 since Carlson is there full-time. Also drop in Strom to Power Play 2 once Kalorn is there for Power Play 1. Man, I don't know. I kind of want to see... I want to see... Uh, I kind of like Strom on the on Power Play 1 right now, but I think Kalorn, with his shot threat, just makes a lot more sense. All right. So that's a good idea. Shout out Jonathan Felix, who just gave us a $4.99 super chat, $4.99 super chat. Thank you, Said, Jonathan. what percentage do you guys give that Gibson gets traded before the trade deadline? I'll say 5%. I'm going to go zero. I don't I don't see it. I think if there are teams that are really hurting for goalies, maybe. But it that's why I think 5%. Very okay. low. Fair very, enough. very low. But thank you for the super chat. Thank you so much for the super chat. Uh, Nevada Maniac said, what are your guys' biggest surprises and disappointments thus far in the early season? I mean, surprises, you probably figured it out by now, but a lot of different players in the team disappointments. I will say Lucas I mean, Dostal has not been great. Like, I think he's been fine. Yeah. He hasn't hurt the team per se, but I don't know. I was expecting maybe a tiny bit more disappointment. I will either go the special teams or, I mean, this may be controversial. I don't think Radko Gudis has been that outstanding Fair. to start. That is a good take. Like, he's, I think he's been fine, but he's been kind of bad. In my he's opinion. been fine. 
He's well, been fine, the, but not as penalties, good as I expected. The penalties really hurt the team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Puff said, who would you want as the broadcast team for the Ducks to replace Allers and Hayward? Uh, play-by-play, that's easy. Alex Faust. Nah. Well, he's doing, like, NFL now. Okay, still give me Ducks Alex Faust. Ducks can't afford him. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and what would you do uh, about em- Emerson Eden. Emerson, yeah, Emerson Eden would be fun. Get Kevin Bieksa. Yeah, Kevin Bieksa. Man, just get like one of BX or gets laugh. That would be yeah. fun. Yeah. Callie Clank Stan account said, Are we seeing the uh are we seeing the ducks for who they really are now? I mean, it's five games, so I mean, yeah, give it give it time. Give it time. Yep. Yep. Darko Theory said, uh, thoughts on Silverberg uh and what his year may look like roster wise for this season based on the small sample size. Feeling bad for Henrique, a top point scorer through our worst years, no longer having a spot within the first slash second line. Watch him on the third line for Carlson debut was rough. I do feel slightly bad for Henrique, but I don't feel that bad. He's a yeah. wealthy man. He yep. is doing all right. I think Silverberg's looked fine. Like yep. I think Silverberg has been better than I expected so far. Yep. Yep. Uh, Plantwart said the Ducks uh, one and four. Uh, or wait, he asked, "What was his question? What does year may look like for Silverberg?" That is from Darko Theory. I think fourth liner penalty kill. Yeah, that type kind of, of deal what, for him. Basically, and, what he's doing right now. Yeah. Plantwart said, the Ducks are 1-4, but it feels like they should have a better record. Do you think this first week or so has changed your point estimate? I think it's about right in line. I think, I think mine may, may have gone up slightly, but right I in mean, line. I mean, I was at, what, 80 to 82 in that range, I think was my my yeah. prediction. I think I'll stay right on that. Yeah, this feels about right. I think maybe at the 15-20 game mark, we'll see where they're at. Maybe we reassess from there if the results start coming uh, significantly yeah. better and uh, they start winning a whole lot more games quickly. Uh, let's see. Kelly Clegg's stand account said how much of an impact would Max Comtois have under Cronin system? That is a million dollar question. Yeah. I would Unknown. be fascinated to see that. Uh, I don't know this account cause it's just a zero, but says with the emergence and stellar play from Minchikov and Lacombe, uh, am I saying that wrong? Now I'm second I guessing. Think, I think it's, I think it's duck or no, it's goose. Sorry. Oh, goose. Oh, on my computer, it's not showing that. No, no, but thing. if you click, yeah, I see that too. But if you Got click it. on it, it's okay. Goose. With the emergent stellar play from Minchikov and Lacombe, who would more, uh, who's more likely to be traded, Zellweger or Leno? Oof, man, Leno's played two games. We haven't even talked about it, but yeah, um, probably Leno. I mean, Real Zellweger's quick. just more more upside. Thoughts on Leno? Quick hidden. Not ready. Yep, agreed. <laughs> I think he's not long for this Ducks team. I hate I hate to have that be the only thing I say, but just not ready. Playmaker said, fine. "How do you think the Bruins game would be different if Leo played?" Um, maybe I they mean, win. Maybe they win, but I mean, they got goalied. I don't know if that changes that significantly. Maybe they win. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Let's. You got time for more, or we can do a few more. Okay. Because I got stuff on Twitter that came in me, but get a get a get a few here couple people in the the twitch and youtube chat start throwing your questions in um and then we'll get to those uh hockey style said can we give a flower or two out tonight for verbeek and cronin better systems and personnel choices to start the season for sure special teams will come around zegris just has a bit of rust on his one timer to start the year power play one looks dangerous in zone so can we get some flowers for him yes but i do want to step in here and say that zegris's one timers always looked like that Fair enough. Fair I'm the enough. Hater. I'm the hater here. Uh, let's see. Clark said, I have a question for the pod. It's been said by Cronin that the Ducks don't have many goal scorers and don't score much. I don't think Cronin has said that, but I'll Well, continue. he said he said that they don't... He made this, like, cards analogy 
where he was like, you know, we don't have a lot of kings and kings oh, and queens, kings it. and aces or whatever. Which is true. Like, if you're not a team that has all star level or not not like superstar level forwards, like you got to manufacture them more. Yeah. Uh, he said, do you see the ducks being active in the trade slash free agent market next year? If so, who just feels like they lack a true sniper. My only ideas are Nylander, uh, Elias Pedersen. I don't know. Just oh, throwing well, a sure. name out there. All right. And now we're going to get to Twitch and YouTube. Find us at twitch.tv slash crash bond. If you have Amazon prime, you get one free Twitch prime gaming sub each and every month. Support us there or go to youtube.com slash crash bond. Yes. If you're listening to this, I know you have a YouTube account. Everyone has a YouTube account. I will be shocked if there's someone listening to this that does not. Go to youtube.com slash crashpond. Subscribe to our video. Like or subscribe to our channel. Like our videos there. You can now become a member there just like at Twitch and support us monetarily there if you want. You can give us super chats like Jonathan Felix and it all helps out significantly. All right. So here we'll go. Uh, Alex Oliveira on YouTube said, do you think we'll see a Strom comeback season? I think we're I think, I think we're seeing it right now. Yeah. Vixler said, question, now that we've seen a lot more of Minchikov, do you, uh, who do you think he best resembles in the NHL? I don't think he resembles anyone. I think he's a unicorn. Like, the way he plays, like, maybe, shit, I don't know. Like, a very offensive defenseman, but who Kale can McCarr? also... It might be Kale McCarr. Like, I don't, <laughs> don't want to say it. I don't want to put that on him. But, man, he is he's close to unicorn level for me in terms of play style. Yeah, he's definitely starting to really get me excited. Yeah. Because that, that is a player the Ducks have not had on the blue Give line. him the number 10. Just let him have it already. Uh, Rooch is saying Scott Niedermeyer. No. Um, Jonathan said, whose name should he get on his new jersey? Carlson, 91. Do it. I have Zegers coming on mine. Zegers uh, is good too, though. Let's see. Uh, DB Lowry, 3507 said, question, what is your go-to horror movie sp- for spooky season? None. Don't watch horror. I hate horror movies. Absolutely hate them. Dumb dumb genre. Don't don't like being scared. Um, Plant Red said, question is Vancouver for real. What odds would you give? They trade Elias. I have, I'm going to be honest outside of the, the ducks and Canadians. I have not paid attention to anyone else. Yeah. So I can't, can't answer. Yeah. So let's get two more questions. Then we've got one shit show question. Uh, Austin said question. Have you guys noticed uh, McTavish's hand-eye coordination when knocking pucks pucks out of midair to keep them from leaving the zone? Similar to world junior championship goalie play. I've noticed it so many times this season. Yeah. He's really good at that little kind of small area stuff. Yep. All right. Ferdy Duck said question. Any thoughts on Cronin's post-game interview after the Bruins game seemed a bit short tempered. Yeah. He looked pissed. He looked pissed. I think, I think he, he's competitive. He wants to win. I don't think that he was, you know, mean to the reporters, you know, our, our very own Derek Lee. Um, I don't think that he did anything out of line, but and sh- look, the, the guy cares. The guy wants sh- to win. Shout out to him. He also apologized to Derek after the fact. Yeah, he was he was good to him. I think that he walked that line as best as he could. Of course. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not like condoning being a little snippy, but I think that the fact that he recognized in the moment, oh, that may have come off poorly. That's a good sign. Um, yeah, that's what you want, and you, you want you, that you want that type of rapport between reporters and yeah, and, and the coach. And I think, I mean, he's pissed because they lost. And I think the only critique I have of that necessarily is I think everything he said about the team, right? Of you when he even mentioned heat maps and says you want them in front of the net. You look at the heat map for that game. The Ducks had actually a lot of chances in that area. 
Yeah. But I also think what he said is valid of they passed up a whole lot of chances where they, they could did. have had even more. And so I think both things can be true that they played a fantastic game. They got the looks that he was discussing he wanted from them or wanted them to get uh, that they were passing up. He, they got those looks in those games, but they could have had even more of them in that game. Yeah. So, uh, all right. We've got these two shit show questions from our discord. Lou said fitted hats are better than snap path snapbacks discuss. I mean, that's just a wrong opinion. Uh, I used to be on that boat, but over the last maybe five to 10 years, snapbacks are better i don't like how snapbacks fit also there's a lot of different kinds of snapbacks so this is a snapback by the way not a broad brush well that looks like a snapback hat but sometimes a hat that may not look like a snapback is snapbacks also look so much better backwards a fitted hat you can never wear backwards it does not look good that is my bold take it does not look good backwards are we sure about wearing your hat backwards yes at a certain the only reason i don't wear my hat backwards at a a certain stage in life (laughs) The only reason I don't wear my hat backwards on this podcast is it would uh, hit my chair. Are we sure that, you know, once we hit a certain stage in life, that backwards hats are are appropriate? Yes. Okay. The snapbacks are good. This is a snapback. Okay. Just this is this is a fantastic. Just, just asking questions. I would say ninety five percent of my hats now are snapbacks. I think I own like one fitted hat now, maybe yeah, two. I, I, I think don't. two. I, I think fitted is just classier. Ballpark. I own, I own two, and they're Angels hats. I think Angels hats fitted, sure. Outside of that, no. Yeah, I'm just not a no. not a not a snapback person. I was like okay. in college, you know, I would wear them backwards to parties. See, but, I was uh, the opposite. I was fitted. Now I'm at a different stage in life. I was a fitted hat guy in college, one, and now I've might transitioned. Say I've, I've grown. I've grown also. Uh, <laughs> Callie playing Stan account saying Arsenal choking again. What's news? I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Tottenham are top of the league. Who? Wow. Who? who? Wow. Who? What? Jake, do you want to do you want to rant here about USC football? Ugh. Not really. I, I don't have a rant. I'm just sad. I'm just sad. Chubbs Pearson just Chubbs Pearson just gave us a tip slash uh, super chat saying best ducks podcast in the league. Keep it up, dudes. Thank you so much. Thank Chubbs. you, Chubbs. I have a rant. Okay. Lincoln Riley's presser. That dude looked like that dude looked unbothered, and that bothers me. I I like I Greg, Greg Cronin looked more pissed about losing regular season game five can, than can, Lincoln Riley did to his playoff hopes being completely evaporated. Can can we not discuss this game? No, this no, game? this it is just important. makes me sad. It makes I think, me sad. I think I think Lincoln Riley is a brilliant football mind. I think that like he had USC playing great ball, but. Man, show a little heart, man. That's all I'm saying. Show a little something. Like I don't I have, care. I, I don't care about the whole, don't, you know, not letting the the players talk to the media. I, I don't care about that. But he just looked like, eh, you know, we lost. Whatever. Just not I, a good look. Yeah. Show some. I, show some heart. I I'm not uh, gonna discuss it because uh, it hurt. All <laughs> and this I'm hurt. also I'm also projecting some pain onto you because I just witnessed uh, the 49ers lose. Can, can we more discuss a fun thing of Tottenham being first in, in the Premier League with Big Ange at the lead after they lost uh, Harry Kane? That's a much yeah. more fun thing going on. Good for much, you. Much more fun. Much more Good fun. For you. I feel like there's a lot of synergy between Tottenham and the Ducks this season, and it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to see. I'm well, ignoring then. the USC part because you and I wow, texted a little bit. You're not even touching it. I, 
do you recall our text messages on well, Saturday night? Yeah, but it's night? it's been it's been it's been forty eight hours. You've had time yeah. to grieve. No, you've had still time sad. to grieve. I'm still sad. Still sad. It's really stupid that they lost that game. It's very stupid. It really hurts. Well, this season I've watched more college football than I ever have, and I will say college, it's fun. Fo- college football is just ridiculous. It's a shit show. It's so much fun. There's so many just like bad inex- shit things that happen. Just so many mistakes, so many inexcusable yeah. plays. Yeah. It's and, great. And uh, USC was the oh, thanks. The, no. the standard bearer of that truth. <laughs> oh, no, man. I mean, the ultimate shit show game was the one against Arizona where they missed the kick to go to overtime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're, uh, all of USC's games that I've watched, and I think I've watched like three this season, have all just been like just absurd. Yeah. So, so can can we not discuss the team that ripped out my heart on Saturday though? That's fine. I I just yeah. I was this was more a, to, supposed to be a shot at Lincoln Riley. Okay. Yeah. All right. Are we good? Anything else you want to discuss? Um. Well, a couple more shit show questions here. The OG oh. Leo Carlson truther says, please give me my flowers for going sockless, <laughs> exposing my ankles, and wearing a VG hat at the home opener last night. I don't know I why. I will give Connor, you your flowers. I don't know why Connor was like, kept repeating this. <laughs> Here's my take, though. Wear some socks. No. Shout out to Connor. Wear no-show socks, but wear some socks. You can, I, I, don't, you... I don't mind the exposed Achilles look. If if you want your Achilles to be exposed and potentially torn, that's fine. But do wear some do wear some no show socks just for grip. No, if you're gonna do the no show, like go all out. Wear like, no socks. The way Connor's describing that, it just makes me think of like he's like strutting into some party like with this brand new outfit the, that's like the amazing. best part is the best part I think about it is exposing his ankles. Like like, like he's is, a su- what a suffragette or whatever it was like, exposing their ankles. Like what is what is noteworthy about that? Like nothing. I mean, I will say that is a good look. VG that hat, is a good look. VG hat is problematic. I've laid nope. out my issues. I'm good with it. Um, Plant Ranch asks, which is a better fruit, plums or eggplants? I think we talked about this last week. Did we? Darn! Yeah. I wish there were more of these. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We didn't get enough shit show questions. I blame Lou. It's on Lou. Yeah. Well, no, I I defended Lou's honor today. I I put this solely on Lou's chest. I had a I had some crazy food takes this weekend that I'm forgetting. You did? Oh yeah. Uh deep dish. We sure? We <laughs> sure you pizza? wanted to get out of here in an hour. Well now, now we're, we're already <laughs> now we're in an hour now, twenty as you're now just it's, picking your bones. Now it's the gambler's fallacy of like, well, I'm already down, so might as well keep digging. Deep okay. dish pizza is just not pizza. It's tomato pie. Tomato pie, like I'm done now. What? I'm done. Why? So I'm, let me I'm ask. Good. What what caused no, you to I, have I'm, this I'm opinion? I'm done. I'm done. We got to get out of here. <laughs> what caused? Folks are just gonna have to chew on that for seven days. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> you have the ability to start the the end of the show, so go for right. it. Well, if you enjoyed listening to our podcast uh, and you want to help us keep this thing going, there's a few very easy ways for you to do that. The number one way is to join the Crash the Pond Patreon community. For $1 a month, you get access to our patrons-only Discord server where you'll be able to connect with other diehard Ducks fans and really get some of the best, most detailed, most nuanced conversation about this team anywhere on the internet. For $5 a month, you get that plus two bonus episodes, that the two bonus podcasts that we will do each month. 
That's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you leave us a review, we will read it on the show. We really appreciate hearing from you guys there. You can also subscribe to us and leave feedback and a five-star rating on Spotify. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Please, please, please subscribe to us on YouTube. I think that that's going to give you great bang for your buck. We do these live streams of the podcast on YouTube. We post clips of the show throughout the week. And we also post uh, film breakdowns of different Ducks players. So there's a lot to be had, a lot of content over on the YouTube ch- YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Check out our, our website, crash the pond.com. Uh, there's been got- a bunch of previews that have been going up there. Eric's been yeah. doing a great job with that. So I, I want to give wanna- Eric a shout out. I do want to shout out Eric because they're just quietly churning out content every game. So if you want a little preview article before each game, just kind of see what's going on. See, there's like a stat pack in there, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, Crashthepond.com. Go check it out. We've got a shop there too to get your merch. Uh, Find us on Twitter. Jake is on there at ReindeerGames91. I'm there, Felix Sicard. And on that note, thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for watching if you did. And we will talk to you next week with more hockey to break down. Hot Pockets are calzones. Bye. 